Now let's turn to the Word of God. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As we turn to the place, we want to welcome all and we want to thank those visitors who have joined with us this evening. And um, I just want to point out to you that uh, two times in the year, we as a church have had a communion service in the evening. And um, tonight just happens to be one of those nights. And therefore, for that reason, we are turning to this portion of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to read from verse 14. Breaking into the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14. Let's read to the end. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered and sacrificed to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. He cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Of any of them that believe not, bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go. Whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not. For his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? If I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, giving none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy 
scriptures. Now, text tonight is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. It reads, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And my subject this evening is simply entitled, Having Communion with God in the Lord's Supper. So you know the text and you know the theme, having communion with God in the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a story told of an American couple who were living in Taiwan in the Far East. And they were teaching English there in the university. And they befriended a young Chinese man. And they offered to teach him English. His English wasn't very good. And they said that they would do that using the Bible, for they wanted to introduce him to the gospel. And through reading the Bible to this young man and getting him to learn and read it as well, this boy got saved. In fact, he got saved reading through Matthew chapter 16. And because the boy was now saved and he, he wanted to um, invite these uh, friends of his to dinner and he was going to make them a special meal. So after one night in the university, the man and the boy headed off to the boy's home when they were going through an alleyway and there was a dog and it was barking ferociously. And if you go down to Carry Duff and walk through some of the alleyways, the dogs will also bark ferociously. But this boy let a yell at him at the dog, something in Chinese. And all of a sudden the dog went quiet and into a wee whimper and there was not a sound. And the man said, what did you say to the dog? And he said... I told the dog in Chinese, if you don't shut up, I'll eat you. And the man was amazed. So they were having the meal in the house and members of the family, they're there. And remember, this is a special meal. These are special friends. And he said to them, well, look, I've got a delicious, specially prepared dish for you. And the couple asked as they sat at the table, and if you've ever been in a Chinese home, there's loads of dishes with loads of bits and pieces on them. And they happened to ask, well, well, what's in this special dish? And he said, dog. And they had a hard time explaining to the man that in the West they don't eat dog, that dogs are family pets, and they would never ever think of eating one, and to eat one for them would be a, a, an offence. Isn't it true that we are what we eat? Isn't it true that what we eat really does matter to us? And suppose if you were to invite me to your home or I was to invite you to our home and said, look, let, let's have a, a stay over uh, or, or uh, let's enjoy a meal. Well, you're going to ask me, well, well what are we eating? Or, or what are we going to have for dinner? And of course, isn't that usually the determinant factor? And if I said to you, oh, Rosie's cooking lovely dog uh, for dinner tonight, so I want you all to come, I'm not sure that you'd all come to the table and partake of that particular meal. You see, the Corinthian church, one of the problems that they were having was that they were divided over what people were having for dinner. Some people were prepared to eat any kind of meat, even meat sacrificed to an idol in a pagan ceremony. Others, for conscience sake, refused and said, well, 
we couldn't eat that. Others had eaten it, and once they discovered how that meat sacrificed to an idol in a pagan ceremony, they, they, that became a rock of stumbling for them. That, that, that hurt and pained their conscience. And you see, this, this idea of eating meat sacrificed to idols, the Apostle Paul spent 1 Corinthians 8 and into 1 Corinthians 9 and into 1 Corinthians 10 dealing with this subject. And he concluded to the Corinthian church with a very, very stern warning. He gave them sound counsel, and it was this in verse 14. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, I want you to also understand that in the Corinthian church, some individuals were sadly involved in some form of sexual infidelity. Others had big drinking problems. Some were involved in immorality and idolatry. See, in the early church, remember, they had no nice buildings like we have. Sunday was not a day off, especially for those who were workers and slaves. And the custom was, especially in the Sabbath evening, to gather in the home of a wealthy believer. And they were coming there with the purpose of celebrating the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was observed on the Lord's Day. And, and that worship was preceded by what they call a love feast. And it was really, in a sense, an Ulsterism, a potluck supper. Because the wealthy members, well, they were there first. Because they could knock off work earlier. And they would have gorged themselves not only in the food, uh, but also in the wine. And when some of the other poorer class came, some of the slaves came, having finished work and arrived, most of the food was gone. And by this time, some of the believers there were worse for the wear. They, they had one or two drinks too many. And as a result, they, they were completely missing the significance and purpose of the Lord's Supper. And the Apostle Paul, as he deals with this subject of food sacrifice to idols, also writes to correct this problem and shows the church there how they ought to approach the subject of the Lord's Supper. And at the heart of dealing with this problem, he singles out what it means to have communion with God in the Lord's Supper. So I've got four little thoughts with you for you this evening. I want you to think of this word. The privilege of coming to the Lord's Supper. You see, verses 16 and 17 and right through to 21 has to do with the proper observance of the Lord's Supper. That was very important in the life and witness of the early church. In other words, the Lord's Supper meant something to them. It wasn't just an empty ritual. It was not a supper to be taken off in a careless and a carnal manner. It was not something just to check off your to-do list. Remember the city of Corinth? It was a port city. It was a wicked city, a city of idolatry and immorality. This port city had a reputation for loose living and low morals. And many in that city, of course, had responded to the preaching of the Apostle Paul in the gospel. And they had been saved out of paganism. And yet, 
Here they are, they're saved out of paganism, but they're still living in the pagan society or the pagan city of Corinth. And as a result, some of the influence and impact of life in the city felt its way into the life and witness of the church. Sadly, some of the believers ended up behaving in a very simple, sinful way. They were following after false teachers. At times, they were very willing and gladly accepted the invitation to sit down and participate again at a feast of pagan ritual that they should have left behind. They, they gladly gorged themselves on the food sacrificed to idols. Some were guilty of turning a blind eye to sin. And in that mix, they also adopted a very poor view of the Lord's Supper. As I've said, it became a drunken feast. It was being misused and misunderstood. They had forgot its true meaning. They could be charged with not discerning the Lord's body. In other words, it meant very little to them. They neglected its true meaning. They were making shipwreck of their souls. And I just thought, isn't it possible for us to adopt a pure view of the Lord's Supper? Isn't it possible for us to treat the Lord's Supper lightly? Isn't it possible for us to, to misunderstand what it means? To, to, to sort of think, well, it's just an add-on. I want to tell you it's not. To, to think of the Lord's Supper in that way would be a tragic mistake. Let's re remind ourselves that the Lord's Supper was instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ for our mutual benefit. The Lord's Supper is to be observed as a feast until Jesus Christ returns. The Lord's Supper is a feast of real value and worth to all of God's people. The Lord's Supper is a feast that's really a sign and seal of the gospel covenant. Because the gospel has to do with the personal work of Christ, his broken body and his shed blood. The Lord's Supper is to be seen as a, a badge of professing the name of Christ. It doesn't make you a believer, but it motivates you as a believer. And if you're saved tonight, if you're born again of the Spirit of God, and you're washed in the precious blood of Christ... And because you belong to Christ and because you're in Christ and you live for Christ through the strength of Christ and the grace that he gives you, then you will want to, like others, come often to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 11.25 tells us, This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. In the early church, I believe, according to Acts 2.42, if we think of the words breaking of bread to be the Lord's Supper, as well as the agape feast, then it took place daily. And then in Acts 20, verse 7, it eventually became something that they did on the first day of the week, the Christian Sabbath. There are some churches, of course, that have it once per month, like ourselves. Some others have four times per year. But I don't think that there's any command in the Bible as to how frequently we do observe it. We're just told it should be often. This do ye, this simple act of taking the bread and the cup, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And I want to tell you tonight it's a glorious privilege. 
the privilege of coming to the Lord's Supper. It's an honor. We should approach it with joy and anticipation. We should come with thanksgiving and praise. We, we, we should look forward to the supper. We always look forward to supper. Especially at family times. It's more than a ritual. It's something we should relish. We, we should be anticipating a blessing. Because we're meeting afresh with Christ. We're going to engage in him with fellowship. We're going to experience in him the privilege of coming to the Lord's Supper. I want you to think, secondly, of the partaking of communion at the Lord's Supper. If you look at verse 16, I want you to notice the word communion. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Now, the Greek word means fellowship. And as we partake of the bread and the wine, we are partaking and participating in a feast of communion or a feast of fellowship. And that's the sum and substance of coming to the Lord's table to have fellowship and communion afresh with the Lord. Now, as we partake of this communion at the Lord's Supper, let's just think of this, that it's a feast of remembrance, first of all. Luke 22 and 19 says this, do in remembrance of me. This act of taking the bread, and we're thinking about the bread representing the broken and bruised body of the Lord Jesus and all the fullness of his sufferings. We're thinking about the cup, and we're thinking as we partake of that cup as an emblem, as a representation of the shed blood of Christ. It's a feast of remembrance, remembering who Christ is, what he's like. And what he has done for us. And how he'd offered a once and for all sacrifice for sin. That, that he's our substitute tonight. He took my place. He died for me. He's our surety. He paid the debt that we couldn't pay to the broken law. He's our sin bearer. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. According to Peter. He's our sin offering. For he that is God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He is our sacrifice. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. All to become our saviour. So in this feast of remembrance, we're thinking of who he is and what he's like and what he has done. Isn't it good of him to institute such a feast? Doesn't it show us, in a sense, how fickle and feeble we really are? That we need to be reminded? That we come to this feast and we partake of it to remember the Lord, to, to, to think of himself. Now, maybe you're sitting there tonight thinking, but wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I've been a believer for all these years. And you can think back to the time when you were converted. And you're asking yourself, but how could I forget him? Is it possible? I believe it is. Could a Christian forget the Lord? Yes. Does a Christian forget the Lord? The answer is yes. See, often we're far too busy. 
Often we're preoccupied with things and we're taken up with possessions. We're taken up with work. And this is even true in the service of the Lord. It's easy to forget. Maybe someone here at work has a desk and they've got family photographs, maybe a photograph of your wife and your children. Maybe you carry photographs of family members in your wallet. Well, why do you do that? Is it because you can't remember your family? No, I don't believe those photographs are there in the workplace or in your wallet to jog your memory. Why are they there? They're there to touch your heart. They're there to remind you of your loved ones and how at that precise moment you're, you're separated from them by time and distance. And you remember the good times and you remember to pray for them. And you remember that you're going to see them soon and you'll return home and, and the, you'll enjoy their company and, and you'll embrace their hug and you'll have food with them. You see, the value of a picture on the desk or in the wallet, it's, it's emotional. It's not there to jog your memory of what they're like. It's there to touch your heart. And you see, the Lord's Supper is like that. The Lord Jesus has left us a picture to remember him by. A picture so we can pause. A picture that we can think. A picture that reminds us of him and his great sacrifice for us. His great love for us. And that picture of him is going to fill our hearts with desire to, to engage in communion and fellowship with him. And, and we long to meet with him face to face. We'll have the opportunity to remember him and his substitutionary sacrifice for us. So it's a feast of remembrance. And he's left us this picture. He instituted it so that we'll not forget him, so that our hearts will be often touched as we're thinking of him. It's also a feast of participation. You see, as we partake of communion, it's not only remembrance, but it's participation. It's more than remembrance. It's a living, vital, spiritual, special fellowship with Christ. If you look at verse 16, it uses the word communion twice. If you look at verse 17, it uses the words partakers once. If you look again at verse 18, it uses the word partakers if you look at the word fellowship in the verse 20, and I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils, the word fellowship, communion and partakers, is all the same Greek word. And it carries the idea of a real, vital reception or relationship whereby we enjoy communion with the crucified, risen Christ himself. In other words, we derive spiritual and special benefit as we fellowship with Christ, as we feast on him. We enjoy all the benefits of his life and his death. Now, this is not the same teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. We don't believe, of course, in transubstantiation. There's no change in the bread or the cup to become the actual literal body and blood of the Lord. So it's not physical. 
It's not literal. There's no transfiguration. There's no transformation. There's no change in the bread. There's no change in the fruit of the vine in the cup. So we're not teaching a literal eating and drinking. But as we participate, we do so by faith. Not literally, but spiritually. So it's a spiritual participation of Christ by faith. Remember he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This do you in remembrance of me. He was speaking, of course, symbolically. The bread represented his body that was in his hand. It wasn't his actual body because he was still in his actual body and he doesn't have two bodies. And you know, tonight, even in this house, he is spiritually present with us by faith. And especially when we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, he makes that presence a, a, a felt reality. Let's remember tonight we're in Christ. We're united to him by faith. And thereby we can enjoy real communion with Christ in a spiritual fashion. Doesn't the bread point us to Calvary? Do we fix our heart and mind in his body on the tree? Doesn't the, the wine in the cup remind us of the shed blood? And not only do we have fellowship with Christ in the Lord's Supper, but you see, we have communion and fellowship with Christ in the preaching of the word because through the preaching of the word, he speaks to us. We have fellowship with Christ in prayer because we have the privilege of calling on his name. We have fellowship with Christ in praise. Whoso offereth praise, God says, glorifieth me. And how in the preaching of the word and how in prayer and how in praise the Lord's presence has become a felt reality. And we've enjoyed communion with him. And we've been conscious of him. Well, the same thing happens as we participate, as we become a partaker in the Lord's Supper. We, we, we participate by faith in his atoning death as our crucified living redeemer. And our soul by faith in a spiritual sense is nourished and strengthened and built up. It's also a feast of declaration. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He, he tells us, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. The word show there means to preach. Do you know every believer who comes to the Lord's table and partakes of the emblems not only engages in a feast of remembrance and a feast of participation, but it's also a feast of declaration. He has a testimony. He's really saying, I'm a believer. I, I, I can have a right to come to this table because I belong to Christ and, and Christ is my Lord and Savior. Is that true of you tonight? Are you saved? Was there a time in your life when you trusted Christ as Lord and Savior? A few Sunday nights ago, we had some folks here from Points Pass Baptist Church, some long-standing family friends of Rosie's and mine. There was a man here called Raymond Morrow. We had his funeral service yesterday. Wednesday night, he left his own prayer meeting in the Baptist Church in Points Pass and went to get the paper in a local shop, felt unwell, was taken home, put on the nebulizer, took a heart attack, took another heart attack, and passed into... God's eternity he was saved at the age of 14 in a gospel mission run by the faith mission and you know 
We had great joy and hope as we give thanks to the Lord for his life and testimony. What did he leave behind? He left everything behind. But you know what he also left behind? He left behind a testimony that for him he was trusting in Christ. And he was ready for heaven and home. And no matter what had happened to Raymond from the age of 14 until near the age of 85, he was right and ready for heaven. He could say, I'm a believer. And of course he did that every time he come to the Lord's table. The Lord's table is for the Lord's people. I want you to think of something else. I want you to think of the portrait of a Christian at the Lord's table. You see, God's people come together collectively. Paul says, for we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. As I've said, the Lord's table is for the Lord's people. And as we engage in having fellowship with the crucified risen Christ, there's an engagement of communion and loving fellowship one with another. We, 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 we meet for a common purpose. And um, when the Lord Jesus said to them in Luke 22, drink ye all of it, he was speaking to them as a group of disciples, not just individually, but collectively. And 1 Corinthians 10 and 17 speaks about our oneness in Christ. We're in union with him. We're united to him by faith. You, you think of the illustration of the vine and the branches. The branches were run with the vine. They were in an organic union with the vine. 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that Christ is the head and we're members of his body. In 1 Peter 2 and 2, we're told that Christ is the cornerstone and we are living stones built into a a spiritual um, temple in him. You think tonight if a table mention is made here of the, the Lord's table, the family at the table. And when the family come round the table, they just don't sit and eat. They usually talk to one another. They, they share stories and experiences. They tell what has happened during the day or what hasn't happened. So as they partake of the food, they have communion and fellowship with each other. And, and you see, that's true of us in Christ. As we come around the table and partake of the Lord's food that he has for us, we have fellowship in a loving way with each other. That There's a bond and pledge of our communion in Christ. And is it tragic that as we are in partnership with Christ, that individuals at the table partaking of the food could allow anger to be in their heart? or bitterness, or jealousy, be cold and callous one toward another. Surely that's no way for members of Christ's body to act who are one in Christ. You think of this Corinthian church, immoral behavior, idolatry, drunkenness, Believers who are united to Christ, who are supposed to display a a, a fellowship of true unity. And there, there wasn't love in their heart one for another because there's a love for sin. These things ought not to be. There's to be loving fellowship with each other. I want to tell you as well in closing, 
There's to be a life forsaken for each other. In the context here, the apostle says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. You see, there has to be separation for sin. For those who are in Christ, there ought to be striving purposefully to live a holy life unto God. Out of love for Christ. Out of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Thinking of what he has done and and who and what they are. There's to be no mingling with the world. We're not to be influenced by the world and its ways. We're to say no to sin, no to idolatry, no to drunkenness, no to immorality. There can be no flipping between the two. He's saying here, you can't be at the Lord's table and and the table of devils. You've got to make a choice. You've got to learn to say no. One's incompatible with the other. And you see, not only do we engage in loving fellowship with each other, But we remember there's a life forsaken for each other. And that life is a decision where we consciously separate ourselves from our own sinfulness. We we acknowledge it. We we repudiate it. We we repent of it. We, We get right with God. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if you could think of somebody called Lydia in the church come waltzing in. She was shaking hands. Hello, how are you? Lovely to see you. Really great to be here today. Lovely to thank you for coming. And there's somebody sitting in the church and saying, what a phony, what a hypocrite. Or or, or somebody else being involved in leadership and they're guilty of some of these things that the Corinthian church were guilty of. Idolatry, immorality, drunkenness. See, that's what Paul's dealing with. And Paul's thinking of the privilege of coming to the supper. And he's thinking of the partaking of communion at the supper. In this feast of remembrance. In this feast of participation by faith. In this feast of declaration. And in the partaking of that feast, there's a portrait of who and what the Christian is. Not only am I a believer, but, but I love Christ. And therefore, because I love Christ, I love the saints of God. And I love the Sabbath. And I love the scriptures. And I love the souls of men. Is that true of you tonight? Is that true of me? And because there's a love in our heart for Christ, if we love him, then we want to be like him. And what was he like? He loved righteousness. And he hated iniquity. Not only the big outward sins, but the small little sins as well. The little foxes that spoil the vine. So here's some instruction tonight about having communion with God at the Lord's Supper. Think about the privilege of coming. Anticipate it with joy. Come to partake in this feast of remembrance. Participation by faith. The spiritual feast. This feast where you declare that you're a believer. And let one another who comes know that you love them in Christ and for the sake of Christ. And that you've left that life of sin behind. You've repudiated, you've repented of it because you're in Christ. May the Lord bless you tonight. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. We're going to sing.